Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. Our lessons this morning are taken out of chronological order. John 15 comes after John 14. But this morning, we are reading both of the sections in John's gospel where Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. Today, as we celebrate Pentecost, we look at the work of the Holy Spirit and think about who he is. This is John chapter 14. It'll serve as the basis for our sermon message this morning. Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to my Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. This is the gospel of our Lord. This isn't an easy thing that I'm going to ask of you, and I have no doubt it might be quite difficult uh, for some of you but I want you to think about someone that you miss. I want you to think about someone you care deeply for, someone you love immensely, someone you miss terribly. Before I go on, I want to realize the risk in asking you to think of that. I want you to know that I don't ask that of you lightly. Before this sermon, 
preparing for this message, I prayed about whether or not I, I should ask that of you because what we know is that bringing up the memories of someone whom we love, memories that we cherish, thinking about someone who, who we love deeply but who's no longer with us, who we can't see, who's not by our side, that's one of the most powerfully heart-wrenching emotions that there could possibly be. We're relational beings. We crave connection. We need companionship. And so when that person isn't there, what fills the home of our heart is often pain and heartache and grief. So why'd I do it? Why'd I ask you to think of someone you miss? I have two reasons. The first is this. I wanted you to, for a moment, relate to Jesus' disciples, to, to feel what they felt. Because you see, by this point in Jesus' ministry, after three years of hanging out together, Jesus and his, his disciples, they had befriended one another. They, they were one another's beloved. And then Jesus said this to them. He said, I will be with you only a little longer. Where I'm going, you can't come. He added to that the fact that he was going to a place where he was going to suffer, he was going to die, and you can't go there for me. And obviously, this got the disciples worked up. They wanted to be with Jesus. They asked where he was going. They asked if they could follow. They even asked at times if they could stop the pain and suffering that he talked about. And so Jesus, before the words we're going to look at in our sermon this morning, he tried to console them. He said to them, all this I have spoken while I'm still with you. In other words, I'm here by your side, but I'm not going to be for much longer. I won't be here with you physically anymore. That's the first reason I ask you to think about someone you may miss, to maybe be able to relate to the disciples but the second reason, and the more important reason, is I want you to contemplate what it would be like to miss Jesus. I have no doubt that when I asked you to think about whom you love and whom you miss, that, well, maybe not many of you think of missing Jesus Christ. We often when we feel longing, when we feel the feelings of missing anyone we love, we, we maybe don't label our emotions as missing Jesus, do we? And yet, what else is happening when you think through your life and you think about the, the guilt and the shame and the sins that you've done and, and literally only you know about? Well, what else is going on when, when that drives you to disconnect from other people or, or maybe disconnect from Christ? You miss him. You miss the forgiveness that he's given you. What else is happening when you're excluded by friends, maybe even family, teachers, coworkers, classmates, because you do the things that God commands and you think the things that Jesus says you should believe? When that happens, well, we disconnect from the hope and the courage that we have in Jesus Christ we miss him. 
Maybe you don't often think about labeling the feelings that you feel as missing Jesus. But what else is it when you wake up in the morning and and even though there's someone whom you love and they love you laying next to you or down the hall from you, you lay there and and you can't get out of bed because you wonder what's the purpose of all this? What's my purpose? What else is that? than being disconnected or distant from the purpose and the identity that you have in Christ Jesus. You miss Jesus. If that's you, if you miss Jesus or if you've ever experienced the pain, the longing, and the heartache of missing anyone for any sort of reason, I'm glad you're here. And I'm glad that you're hearing this sermon because I want you to hear what Jesus says to people just like you and me. What Jesus says is, I will not leave you. I will not leave you. And that might sound awful strange coming from someone who's not here physically. And it might sound awful strange considering that these words were first spoken to people whom he was on the way out the door from. So what is Jesus getting at when he says, I will not leave you? Well, in one breath, when he says, I'm going away, and in the very next breath, he says, I will not leave you. With every breath Jesus breathes, he's giving promises of the Holy Spirit. He's giving promises of the Holy Spirit who, when you think through your life and you think about those moments where you do feel pain, you do feel grief, you do feel the heart-wrenching feeling of missing anyone, well, the Holy Spirit fills you with something much greater, something much wiser, and something much more holy. Today, as we celebrate Pentecost, what I want to do is look at three things about the Holy Spirit and call them three reasons why you will not ever be alone and Jesus will never leave you. Here's the first. Jesus said this to his disciples, as he was telling them that he would no longer be with them and he was telling them where he was going and they wouldn't follow, Jesus promised them this. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he goes on to say, he will be with you. Jesus' solution, Jesus' solution to the problem of us missing Jesus or or really missing anyone, Jesus' solution to our loneliness epidemic, it's the Holy Spirit. But how does the Holy Spirit fix that? It's an important question because the Holy Spirit is probably one of the most misunderstood characters in all of Scripture. And there's a variety of reasons for that. So let's just take a second to look at the question of what does the Holy Spirit do? And maybe the best way to answer that is to ask the question, well, who is he? Jesus in John chapter 14, verse 26, promises the disciples this, but the parakletos, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will spend in my name, he will be with you. Maybe you noticed this if you were following along in your Bibles, but I might have said a different word than, than you had printed there. Because it's interesting, at least I find it interesting, that the, that the five most popular Bible translations in publication in the United States, 
Well, they all have a different translation for that name that Jesus gave the Holy Spirit. The NIV, which I read to you, and the New Living Translation, they call the Paracletos, the Holy Spirit, the Advocate. The King James Version calls the Holy Spirit the Comforter. The English Standard Version calls the Holy Spirit the Helper. And the Christian Standard Bible calls the Holy Spirit the Counselor. So you might be saying, which is it? How can we know which translation to trust? Maybe, maybe there's something that's not reliable here. Well, it's actually quite the opposite. What you can trust is this, that the Holy Spirit is such a wonderfully complex personality and such a beautiful mystery that even our English language can't pick just one word to capture who he is. Who is the Holy Spirit? What does he do? Well, on one hand, he is a trustworthy advocate. He is someone there by your side who has your back. On the other hand, he is a kind and caring comforter. And at the very same time, he is an all-powerful, all-strong helper, and he's very wise counselor. He's all of those things in one, which leads me to really like the way the Message Bible translation translates this verse. It simply says this, the friend, the Holy Spirit, that's who the Father will send in Jesus' name. You ever think about the Holy Spirit as a friend? Maybe if you've heard me preach on the Holy Spirit before, I've mentioned this. I'm thankful to have a number of friends in my life, but perhaps one of, if not my best friend, is someone whose name is Josh. Josh Schultz is a great friend of mine, and part of the reason for that is he was my roommate for just under a decade. It's fair to say that I know Josh pretty well, and he knows me pretty well. We've had lots of fun together, whether it was taking vacations together or playing sports together or just hanging out in our dorm room. Josh was always there for me. When I didn't really know what I should do with making decisions about which class I should take or if I should ask this girl out, Josh is someone who had really wise advice. When life was hard, when I got broken up with, when I got a bad grade or we lost a game, or my parents were going through a divorce, Josh was there. Josh was there to encourage me. Josh never seemed to get stressed or worried or anxious, at least about the things that I got worried about. And he was someone who would remind me to pray to God. No, it was really great that, that Josh is the type of friend, best friend, who was always there for me, but that doesn't mean that Josh always made things really easy. There was the time where I had paid for all my school expenses my sophomore year in college, got my tax returns, and I thought it was going to be a brilliant idea to take the money that I had left over and spend it on a very expensive set of bagpipes. But Josh talked me out of that idea. He said that would not be a good idea. There's the times where I would do something foolish, where I would get a Brad grade from the teacher and speak ill of them, and, and Josh would call me out. He'd say, stop doing that, that's, that's sinful. Josh was always there, and, and while it was really, really good most of the times, other times it didn't make it easy. But why am I telling you about Josh this morning? 
Well, I wanted you to introduce my friend Josh to you because Josh is a person. And that means that he's not perfect. He is and, and he was sinful. He had his flaws too. But because Josh is a person, that means you can think of, well, the Holy Spirit like Josh or your best friend. Because the Holy Spirit is a person. He's the third person, we say, of the Trinity, the triune God. And the thing about the Holy Spirit is he's a lot like your best friend, but he is the bestest friend. In fact, let's use a real world. The Holy Spirit is your greatest friend. And if you're following along in our worship guides this morning, that's our first fill in the blank, that the Holy Spirit is your greatest friend. I mentioned before that there's a lot of maybe misunderstood ideas about who the Holy Spirit is and, and what he does. But if you think of him like your best friend, a lot of those wrong ideas go away. The Holy Spirit isn't someone who makes you speak in weird languages. The Holy Spirit isn't someone who makes you or your body act in an unnatural way. No, best friends don't make other friends do that. But the Holy Spirit is your greatest friend. And he's someone who hasn't just lived with you or roomed with you for 10 years. He's someone who, because of your baptism, because of the word of God that you believe, he lives with you and in fact has made your heart his home. And that means when those feelings of loneliness, those feelings of grief, those feelings of heartache come knocking, there's no room for him there because the Holy Spirit is your greatest friend. And that means that he loves you even more than your spouse, even more than your boyfriend, even more than your significant other. And he points you to Jesus' love and he fills you with Jesus' love. The Holy Spirit is your greatest friend. And that means he's smarter than your smartest friend. And he fills you with the knowledge of God. He makes you wise unto salvation. Which means no matter what you go through in life, all the answers that you need are found in Christ for all of the promises that Christ gives you are yes in him. The Holy Spirit is someone who cares about you cares about you more than your kids, more than your parents, because the Holy Spirit is your greatest friend. And he's with you always. And, and that means that you'll never miss Jesus and you'll never be alone. And that's really, really good news for people like you and I, people whose memories are really bad. It's an experiment that's been done time and time again. Maybe you've heard about it, but it takes place in the United States or, or really anywhere where any significantly historic event occurs. They're called flashbulb studies. It happened after JFK's assassination. It happened after the Challenger's disaster, the explosion of the space shuttle. It happened in 2001 after the 9-11 terror attacks. What happens is scientists or neurologists and psychologists, they'll ask people who experience this event a series of questions that looks to capture their memories about an event. They'll ask them who they were with, what they were doing, what they said to whom right after the event happened. They'll ask them how they heard about the event, what they did next. They'll ask them a whole series of questions that all serve to capture their memory. And then five 10, 
15, 20 years later, these scientists, they'll ask these individuals the exact same series of questions. And lo and behold, not everyone, but a significant amount of people will substantially alter their memories of that event. And here's where it gets mind-blowing. They will alter their, their memories of the event and stick to that, even if it's 10 years later, as the scientists show them, no, this is what you said 10, 15, 20 years ago about that. They'll stick to what they believe their memories are telling them in the present time. It's mind-blowing, but the more that people study memory, well, the more people realize how fallible it is. And that really shouldn't surprise Christians. That really shouldn't surprise people, well, who understand sin and understand how sin completely destroys and breaks everything in this world, including us and our memories. Our memories let us down all of the time. We read throughout scripture, we've talked about it throughout John, that the promise, actually the command that Jesus gives more often, more frequently than any other one in all scripture is do not be afraid. And he gives the reason why, which is the promise, because I have all power, I have all authority, and I'm working all things out for the good of those who love me. But we forget. We forget that, and so we wring our hands, worrying about things we cannot control, but God certainly is controlling. We forget. We forget that, that Jesus said in John chapter 19 and 20, it is finished. It's finished. I have forgiven all of your sins. We forget in John chapter 20 that Jesus rose from the grave, therefore we are no longer dead in our sin but we wallow in self-pity over the sins that we do. We wallow in our guilt and our shame. And what's worse, because we've trapped ourselves in this self-imposed prison, we judge others. We judge other people and we're slow to forgive because we forget. We forget that in John chapter 6, John chapter 7, John chapter 14, Jesus said, I am the living water. I am the bread of life. I am the vine. If you remain in me, I will remain in you. But we forget. We don't go to worship as often as we should or could. We don't group together with other Christians to study his word. We think, I'm a lone wolf. I got this. And yet what happens? The devil, our enemy, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And so there we are looking, asking, wondering, why is it? Why is it that my life seems to be falling apart at the seams? Why is it that it seems like God doesn't care about me, that he doesn't notice what's going on in my life? What? He said, remain in me. I'll remain in you. The promise that Jesus gives to the disciples is that the Holy Spirit will be with them. And that's really good news for people whose memories are really bad because what Jesus says next is this, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will spend, send in my name, he will teach you to obey. He will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said to you. Do you catch that? 
Jesus said that I'll teach you just of some of the important doctrines or I'll teach you of some really cool Bible trivia that you can remember maybe just a few of them to win Trivial Pursuit. No, he said, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit who will teach you all things, who will remind you of everything that I have said to you. And that means that the Holy Spirit is not only your greatest friend, the Holy Spirit is also your wisest friend. Can I tell you just about one more of my personal friends? It's actually someone that I thought of when I was thinking about someone whom I miss. I've never told this person that I miss them in my life, but maybe I should, or maybe they'll listen to this sermon online sometime. But this is another friend, and it's, and it's not like a roommate, or it's not like a buddy or best friend. It was a family friend. It was someone who was very good friends with my parents. His name's Eric Paulson. And when I think back on my childhood, when I think back growing up, Eric is someone who taught me a lot. We met him when I was in the fourth grade. And when I was in fifth grade, he came to one of my basketball games and saw that I missed a lot of free throws and that frustrated me. So after the game, Eric sat me down. He gave me a blank piece of paper and he said, write your name. So I did. Then he said, close your eyes and write your name again. And I did. And he said, look, Matt, you see how you can do that because you've practiced it a lot? Just practice your free throws a lot and, and you can do it with your eyes closed. That was fifth grade. In seventh grade, Eric Paulson was there again. He just happened to be my seventh grade teacher. And he taught me that reading is cool and that boys who think it's awesome that they don't read, well, that's not wise. In eighth grade, when I had zero upper body strength, he taught me how to water ski. When I was in high school and my parents were really, really frustrated with teaching me how to drive stick shift, how to drive manual, Eric Paulson said, come here just for a minute. He took 20 minutes and I had it down. In college, he was there again and he taught me about dating and relationships. Why do I tell you all this? Well, I wanna introduce you to my friend, Eric, because he's a person. He's a person who's taught me surely not everything, but a lot of things. And while he's just a person and he's imperfect and he has flaws and he has sins, he helps us think about someone who is even wiser than our wisest friend. The Holy Spirit is your wisest friend, and he teaches you things that are way more encouraging than shooting free throws, way more illuminating than about reading. The Holy Spirit, who is sent in Jesus' name, teaches you everything and reminds you everything about Jesus, which means you will never be without his full and free forgiveness, which means you will never be without his unshakable hope of heaven. You will never be without the unbreakable joy that Jesus gives you, nor any of the promises that God has gifted to you because your wisest friend is the Holy Spirit and he's with you always. And that's perhaps where I'm gonna stop talking about my personal friends. Because yes, it's great that the Holy Spirit is your greatest friend. And maybe you can think of Josh or your best friend to think about how the Holy Spirit helps you. And yes, he is your wisest friend. So you can think about Eric or whoever that is in your life to think about how the Holy Spirit teaches you and encourages you. 
But let's not forget this. The Holy Spirit is holy. He is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And that makes the Holy Spirit your holiest friend, which means he can do things for you and give things to you that no other person in all the world can. Jesus said this to his disciples, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. The Holy Spirit is the holiest friend that you have. And that means he can give things to you and do things for you that nobody else can. He can give you his peace. And his peace is not like any other kind of peace that anyone can give you in this world. The peace that other people can give you is maybe a ceasefire between enemies, maybe the calm after an argument, maybe the cool breeze of, you know, vibing out on the beach. That's not the peace the Holy Spirit gives. He gives you a peace that means there is a cessation of the condemnation that God had for you. There ceases to be beef with you and God because the blood of, the whole, of the, your Savior, Jesus Christ, covers over your sins and through the word of God, the Holy Spirit gives you faith in that. It means that there is calm for your soul knowing that whatever you go through in life, the highs or the lows, nothing in all creation can separate you from Christ Jesus. There's the calm of your heart knowing for fact, for certain, that goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life because the grace that God gives to you, the undeserved love that is for you, is a fact. And he doesn't just give you that peace like anyone else will. He gives it to you in a way that nothing else in this world can give. Now, even your friends, they give lots of stuff to you, but maybe, maybe they do it grudgingly. Okay, I'll help you move because I have to. That's what friends do. The Holy Spirit gives you his peace gladly. Now, even your best friends, they give conditionally. They want to know what, what's in it for them. The Holy Spirit gives you peace freely. And that's why the Holy Spirit is greater than your greatest friend. He's wiser than your wisest friend. It's because he's holy. He gives to you, not partially, because even your best friend is going to give to you some, and then they're going to need some time, some food for themselves. But he gives to you completely. He gives to you wholly because he is holy, and he makes you holy. And that means that Jesus will never leave you. He is always by your side because the Holy Spirit is yours. Through the waters of your baptism, through this word that you're hearing, the Holy Spirit has made your heart his home. And that's why I really, really love the graphic that we've been using through this last third of our sermon series. Our creative director, Savannah, drew up these drawings about 22 weeks ago, and I've been waiting 20 weeks to ask you this question. Do you know whose hands those are? If you said Jesus, the Sunday school answer, you wouldn't be wrong. That's, that's technically not wrong. That's absolutely what you, we wanted you to think when you looked at these, that that's Jesus' hand reaching out, grabbing you, his beloved. 
but those aren't Jesus' hands because I hate to break it to you. We don't know what his hands looked like. So do you know whose hands those are modeled after? Those are the hands, uh, at least they're modeled after the hands of the famous friend duo, Frodo Baggins and Samwise Gamgee. Specifically, it comes from The Lord of the Rings, the last book, The Return of the King. You remember that? What happens is Frodo and Sam are at the end of their adventure, their adventure to take the one ring, the one ring that will rule them all into Mount Doom to destroy it in the fires of Mount Doom. But as they near the end of their adventure, the weight of what they're trying to do begins to crush Frodo. The all-consuming eye of evil Lord Sauron is pressing down on Frodo. Just the tiredness from their long journey and their lack of food and water has caught up to him and, and Frodo collapses. Frodo can't go on anymore. And so Sam does what any good friend would do. Sam encourages him. Sam tries to pep him up. Sam points him to their home back at the Shire and how everything's going to be great when they can just get this adventure over with and they can, and they can go back to enjoying their time there with friends and family and, and talk about all that they encountered along their journeys. But that doesn't do it for Frodo. Because the overpowering weight of the one ring is too much. He forgets all the memories of the Shire. The pressure of what they're about to do is too much. He forgets that he's not alone. Even as he stands there at the end of the world, his, his best friend is right there with him. But he forgets all that. Sound familiar? Can you relate? So Samwise Ganji decides how the two of them are going to carry on. He looks at Frodo and he says, Mr. Frodo, I can't carry the ring, but I can carry you. And he picks up Frodo and they journey on. I don't know if you've experienced the overwhelming feeling of loneliness that comes from missing someone or maybe, maybe the heartache or the pain or the grief of being alone. But your best friend is there. He says, come on, I'll carry you. I am your greatest, your wisest. I am your holiest friend. And I can do something that even Samwise can't do. I can not only carry you, I can carry it. I have carried all of it for you. I don't know if you're forgetting any of the promises that Jesus has spoken to you, that he has given to you. I don't know what lies of Satan that, that you are believing that make you forget all of the promises that Jesus has given to you. But your, whole, but your best friend, your greatest friend, the holiest friend you have says, come on, I'll carry you and I'll remind you of everything that Jesus said including this, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. You heard me say I am going away and I am coming back to you. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit 
loves you and calls you his beloved. Therefore, you will not be alone. Amen.